Hey guys, it's Cappy here from Geek Girl Meetup UK and you're joining me for the next episode of Geek Girl Meets. This is where we sit down with a fascinating woman to unpick her career in order to inspire you, our listener. And today I'm having a bit of a fangirl moment. Uh, so the pre-warning is that if I kind of squeal or get very excited or start swearing like a trooper, it's only because I am sat in a room now with a woman whose book I most recently finished reading on holiday. And I'm delighted to be joined by Girl on the Net who is an infamous sex blogger. Thanks, infamous, I like it. I know, it's a good word, isn't it? I think everyone should be more infamous. Uh, and uh, you are anonymous, so we, for the purpose of this and, and everything that you do, we refer to you as Sarah. Yes, yes, Sarah is fine. I actually have a number of different names. I often, oh, really? Yeah, I often let people pick a name for me because people get uncomfortable saying girl or G or gotten. So if people get like nervous about it, I'm like, it's fine, just pick a name. Should we have a random mind. name for the purpose of this conversation or do you want yeah. to stick to Sarah? Go for it, I don't really mind. Oh, well, now I'm on pressure to come up with a good name. <laughs> One guy calls me Nettie, which I thought was quite cute. Nettie's nice, I like that. Yeah, I like Nettie. All right, we'll use Nettie. Okay. Okay, so I'm joined by Nettie. This is great. I've never named anything before. Um, and I'm stealing credit for that anyway. Uh, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah. So, for the purpose of people that are listening who may not be aware of Girl on the Net, do you mm-hmm. want to just give us a quick overview of what it is that you do? So, I am a sex blogger. Um, so, I started a sex blog about five years ago. I'm coming up to like my five-year anniversary. And from the sex blog, I've also started doing sex journalism. So, I write for a number of different newspapers and magazines. I've written a couple of books um, and I basically do loads of stuff in the world of sex sort of talking about it and writing stories about it and everything that's fun yeah so basically all awesome so I guess you know I already explained to you earlier the the first question that I ask everyone is when you were a child when you were a teenager could be either could be both what did you want to be when you were growing up ah so well when I was really young what I wanted to be was a mermaid. Like, if you'd asked me, that would have been my answer. I want to be a mermaid. Yeah. Because I'd seen The Little Mermaid and read a lot about mermaids, and I know that a mermaid can turn into a human, so I would always have said that I would like to go the other way and turn into a mermaid. But sadly, my mermaid dream didn't come true. I've basically gone back and forward when I was sort of a teenager between wanting to be a lawyer, because it felt like quite a fun way to have arguments for a living, and wanting to be a writer. Like, yeah. I've always wanted to write. I wrote a book a book that makes it sound really grand but I wrote what I thought at the time was a book when I was about 12 because my gran gave me an electric typewriter and I was like oh this is really exciting so I spent my whole summer writing a book obviously it's rubbish but at that point I kind of knew like writing is something that I'm really interested in it's something that has I've always kind of wanted to do and so then I went through a few different careers as I was growing older, like mostly in kind of content writing and campaigning, marketing, all basically storytelling yeah. type things. And so then when I started blogging, I kind of went, okay, this is now I get to really do what I want, which is write stories basically. That's cool. Do you still have the story that you wrote when you were a kid? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, yeah, it's printed. On like because it was an electric typewriter and I made I think three copies of it so nice. I have a copy and my mum has a copy in her like embarrassing stuff my kids have done box um, but yeah I still have it <laughs> that's really cute I think like, when I was at school I did a bit of script writing and I remember when my parents were moving house just going through an old box and finding this god awful script <laughs> because for some reason we were doing a like spoof version of James Bond. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I was really weird. Uh, I came up with, obviously, Q wasn't Q, he was P. Um, <laughs> really original stuff like that. Nice. But it's nice that you still have that, right? That's. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's actually, I think I've gone through a phase. I recently went back and reread some of my teenage diaries. And I think you go through a phase, like, shortly after you've written something, you're like, oh, this is quite good. And then there's, like, a long period of, horrified embarrassment where you're like how could I be so awful and how could I write such dross and then you go through that period and you're like oh wasn't I cute when I was young and you know idealistic and I thought all of these things so I quite like going back and reading the stuff I wrote when I was younger because you sort of feel like you're a bit gentler to your younger self yeah and there's a bit more distance do you kind of feel a little bit that way now with like the first few blogs that you wrote or no, I'm too close to those now. Okay. I hate quite a lot of the content I wrote when I first started blogging, actually. 
I will occasionally, so it'll, it'll pop up in the sort of, you know, the, at the bottom of each blog post, it, there's an algorithm that just says these things are similar. And sometimes I'll go back and read stuff and just go, God, that was awful. Like, really judgmental, really, like, I think when I started blogging, I genuinely thought I knew everything about sex. And everybody would really want to listen to me telling them everything I knew about sex. And I've kind of learned that I know way less the more I've been, you know, the more I blog, the, the more I realise I have to learn. And I yeah. think that kind of, I hope that makes my writing better now than it was when I was a sort of a, an annoying, judgy knob yeah. when I started. No, I think it must do because you're, if you kind of didn't think that you wouldn't challenge yourself or really think about the story you want to get across or the subject matter and how it can be more exciting and yeah yeah it's a sign of any storyteller right you're always constantly trying to push the boundary in a new way yeah definitely definitely and I think as well it's something that like I other people have pointed it out to me and like nowadays it's more likely that someone else will point something out to me and say well you haven't actually really considered this um, and I think that make like just being able to get that feedback makes me a much better writer than because obviously at the beginning I didn't have nearly as much traffic. So most of the people reading are people who already agree with me. Yeah. So it's not it's kind of more of a feedback loop than you know a community. Yeah. So I'm skipping ahead now because now I'm getting into the book. Okay. But <laughs> from childhood and realizing you, know, you love writing, you're a natural born storyteller. Just talk me through kind of the, the kind of the career itself and then actually what was the moment when you realised that oh, I want to do this blog and I want to write about sex. Okay, so in terms of general career, I've never really like had a super focus on like, you know, I want to be this. I've always just kind of been generally interested in lots of things. So I studied philosophy, which is the classic degree for people who don't know what they want to do. Um, and I did that at university and I also studied a little bit of Japanese because it was quite fun. And so at the end of university, didn't know what to do, so I went and lived in Japan for a couple of years. And then when I came back, I essentially got into kind of web writing and then editing and working on, mostly for sort of charities and small businesses, just working on their websites. And that sounds kind of really boring, but I really liked it because it's that, again, it's that storytelling. Yeah. And often... Like, what, what I really liked is you'd go to, like, you know, a charity or a small business and say, okay, well, what are you, what what do you do? And they give you this kind of really dry, like, here's what we do and here's what we do and here's what we do. And what I really enjoyed was that element of finding the stories within that. Like, okay, so here's what you think you do, but actually here is what, you know, what impact this has on other people. Yeah. And so I really enjoyed doing that and I did a bit of campaigning. And basically the thing that sort of led me to blogging is for quite a long time I'd always wanted to write about sex and my partner and I at the time were very very sexual like <laughs> that sounds like kind of a weird way to put it basically we were sort of like kink enthusiasts yeah we weren't particularly into anything specific like BDSM or swinging or um, any of that stuff we just wanted to try everything and we were really excited about it and I'd said to him for a long time, like, we should start a sex blog together, because he's a brilliant writer, like, he's very kind of funny and quick and clever. And I was like, oh, we should write a sex blog together and we could give two different perspectives. And we started writing some stuff, and then he got really cold feet. And then eventually we broke up, not because of the blog at all, just different reasons. But after we broke up, I was like, well, there's nothing really stopping me. Like, I don't need yeah. for him to do it with me. I just really want to have a go at this. So... I obviously asked his permission and the permission of some of the other people I was writing about um, and then just got started and I kind of, it was hard at first to work out exactly what it was I wanted to write about and it took me a long time to find, to stop doing these kind of judgy pieces of like, men, here's what you should do in bed and start writing more, you know, storytelling or exploring like ideas and fetishes and fantasies but once I got into the swing of that, then I didn't really stop. Yeah. And here you are now. And here I am now. Two books. <laughs> well, there, was a brief, there was a brief period kind of in the middle of that, like the first two years when I was blogging, I also still had a day job. Yeah. And at the time I was, my day job at the time, again, similar kind of storytelling type stuff, but I was doing a lot more, I was, I was a much higher level, and so I was quite sort of managerial and directing other people, which was super fun, but at the same time, 
I felt like a real fraud because I was managing people, I was doing things like upholding our social media policy, and at the same time, I was completely anonymously writing about some truly, like, frankly, appalling filth that you, you know, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't want anyone to read, you should lock it away. And so that was quite a stressful time because I was essentially being two people. Yeah. But as a, the sex blogger, I also was getting work doing journalism and other writing. I basically had two lives completely at the same time. Whereas now what I've done is kind of pushed the slider over more. And so like more of me is girl on the net. And like Mimi has about like 20, 30% of my time. I love that Mimi. Mimi. <laughs> the sort of boring me. I doubt you're boring. Um, that's really amazing. But that, so what I really loved reading about in your, in your book, aside from the relationship and everything was actually you were very candid and open about discovering that you have anxiety. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, so I have depression and anxiety. I've suffered with it for years, and I'm a firm believer in openly talking about mental health because I don't think hiding it does any favors for anyone. Yeah. Um, but that anxiety was kind of I got the impression that that was coming from a lot of basically having that two different lives and the increasing pressure of day job plus girl on the net plus. Yeah. journalism and all of these different things. Yeah. Um, and you kind of reached a bit of a breaking point a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I've always been quite an anxious person and I've always been very prone to just piling loads and loads of stuff on my plate. And I think partly because what, what drives me and what I get genuinely excited about is the sort of ticking tasks off the list and yeah. achieving little achieving little things. So I take loads of stuff on and then there's too much stuff and then I collapse a bit. Um, and yeah, and so a lot of that, um, basically I think the point at which I kind of went to a doctor and said, I don't think this is right, like, I think maybe there's something wrong with me, was sort of right in the middle of this period of juggling, going on the net with my life and my job. My job was super stressful and girl on the net was really exciting but she's also quite a stressful person to be because you have to you have to tread this really fine line like girl on the net started as a hobby as something i did for fun as yeah. a twitter account i would tell jokes on and then it became my job and my life and my career as well and so as soon as it becomes your job and your life and your career as well as a place where you tell jokes and make friends then there's this constant pressure to reply to DMs all the time, to be on Twitter, to reply to people. You have to be super polite because it's also partly your kind of work channel. Yeah. So you can't, you know, you can't treat it in a casual way you would a, uh, you know, a kind of hobby thing anymore. And then obviously at the same time, you've got all my real life stuff going on. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of felt a lot like everything was just kind of piling up and piling up. Um, and I like I was really really lucky because basically the point at which I left my job, I'd managed to save up enough money that I think I had about three months' worth of runway, essentially, so I could spend three months getting in some freelance work and trying to make a bit of money out of the website yeah. so that I could, you know, pay the bills and stuff. Yeah. So a lot of it was sort of luck that yeah. when I had my collapse, <laughs> I wasn't just kind of collapsing not onto a pile of a little bit of money. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I think that one of the things that I find interesting is that a lot of women that I know, and I think I'm kind of one of them, um, I like to have a side project. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm pointing at my recording device. Um, I like to have a side project, and you know, I've got, I have a podcast, and I have Geek Girl with the actual meetups, um, and I also tend to just, if anyone wants me for like mentoring of any kind, I'm like, oh yeah, we'll grab a coffee, and then I'm like, you haven't had a proper night's sleep in five weeks, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. But there's a lot of people that I know within tech, for instance, that do tend to kind of double up or triple up with additional roles other than their day job. So I, I guess I'm kind of trying to get like advice, really, like, you know, in terms of managing that. Was there any kind of tricks that you think you could pass on to anyone? Hmm, well... Do you know, there are loads, there's loads of advice I could give, and I could say that probably I follow my own advice about 50% of the time. I think we all do, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so the most, the most useful thing for me, and it probably is prompted by the anonymity, but I think it's actually quite helpful on a stress level, but I have 
two of everything in terms of devices. So I have two phones, two laptops, everything is kept completely separate. Um, I don't link data from any of them just because it's really important to me that these two people like me and GoldenNet are separate. Yeah. Because of that, it does mean that I can turn off my gotten phone if I'm just like, oh god, I can't be bothered and I want to like spend some time with my partner, which I don't do enough of because I'm too busy writing about his writing about him on the internet. Um, <laughs> I, I, like always, I like the restraint on that, <laughs> like that sentence, by the way, that was brilliant. <laughs> That's me. I'm, I'm quite good at holding back this way. I'll get the full stuff later. This time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so keeping things really separate. I, I try to set strict rules. So like when I'm when I'm good about rules. So for instance, I have now finally set up a kickback on my email. So if people email go on the net, they will always get a kickback that says I get tons of email. Here's a link to the FAQs. And I hate doing that because I would always like to reply to people individually. I think part of the problem is people see your public presence on Twitter and they see that you're friendly and nice. Well, I don't know. I hope I'm friendly and nice. But they see your public presence on Twitter. They see your, like, well, they see my innermost thoughts on my blog. And they feel a kind of, like, quite a close connection sometimes. Yeah. What they don't realise is that a hundred other people this week have felt the same connection and sent me the same in-depth email about their problems or, like, often quite traumatic stuff asking for my advice. And I'm like, I'm not in any way qualified to do that. Um, so having a rule where I can just blanket say to people, I'm not going to be able to get back to everyone. And some people are going to be upset by that, which really sucks. But for my own mental health, well, yeah. it means I'm not spending like every single day panicking because I haven't got back to this or that email. Um, so that's quite helpful. And I'm also, because I do a lot of like freelance bits and pieces, I'm... This is a rule I don't follow enough, but I'm starting to get much stricter about saying to clients, yes, I can do this for you, or I can, you know, write a few blog posts for you about your latest sex toy, but I want to essentially box that time. So rather than saying, I will spend four hours doing some work for you, I will say, I will spend four hours on Friday the 20th, between the hours of this and this. Yeah. Because otherwise you get someone saying, like emailing you at 10 o'clock at night saying, oh, could you just change this? Because they've seen you on Twitter and you're chatting away on Twitter and they're like, oh, I know she's online. So, yeah. and I'm like, oh God, no, I'm on Twitter, but I'm also probably drunk. Like 90% <laughs> of the time, it's the evening I'm on Twitter, I'm drunk. This is not a good time to send me a work email. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, I, I think we, I've definitely been culprit of um, being spotted, being available, and then having the email, and then having to respond whilst slightly inebriated, uh, and then being like, why did I even do that? <laughs> oh God, I have five different spellings. <laughs> it's a really, really vicious circle though. Like, I think, and particularly, I mean, it, it shouldn't be a gendered thing, but it is a gendered thing, like, particularly because women are still expected to do the majority of the care for, you know, children and other relatives. For women, receiving an email at 10 o'clock at night can often be quite a, a, I don't want to say aggressive, but like it's quite an intimidating thing. Yeah. Because there is often this, you know, the expectation that people should be on email all the time is completely ludicrous. Um, but yeah, like I kind of, again, like I say, I don't apply this rule as often as I should, but I would love to see more people having an out of office that just says it's... It's past 5pm, so you won't get a reply from this until tomorrow. Yeah. Or, you know, things that kind of set those boundaries, rather than us just going, oh, just kind of do I'll this. I'll just do so. one, and then five responses later, you're yeah. stuck. Yeah. yeah. I think it was the French that were working on having a, a restriction on emails after hours. Yes. Which I actually really like as a policy, because I think if it comes up from that level, you'll have more people that suddenly feel quite naked after 5.30 o'clock, but then realise, oh, now I can actually have yes. existence outside of... Definitely. Office. I think, yeah, because it was something to do with um, the working time directive, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that idea. And I've actually, I've had... I've had two like really inspirational managers in the past, one of whom effectively put a ban on work email outside of hours. She said, look, here are the things that count as an emergency, and if it's not one of these things, I don't want you emailing people outside of work hours because you set an expectation for our team that our team will always be online. We were the online team. <laughs> but effectively, like because we were the online team, people expected us to constantly 
be online. It's yeah. like, well, actually, if there's not going to be an emergency, why should anyone have to, you know, ditch their Friday night just because some random manager has had a whim and they're like, oh, I had an idea. What do you think about this? Yeah. I think leave me alone. It's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm terrible as a corporate just generally for not being able to not know how or when I'm not doing work, just plan geek girl stuff because it's it's kind of like girl on the net. It's much more fun and much more rewarding. Yeah. And that's where your real passion lies, right? So moving on from, from talking about kind of management and, and around the kind of mental health and, and clarity of doing one thing and the other with two different projects and work going on. You've just given some like amazing advice there, but do you have like one big piece of advice you would pass along to anyone in their career? One thing that you think is a big lesson learned? God, you know, it's really hard because I kind of think some of the most important lessons I'm only just learning at the moment, like the importance of delegation or the importance of understanding what you're not good at. Like, I am a real, like, I'm crap at so many things, like, particularly the business side of going on the net. Like, my accountant is not speaking to me at the moment because I haven't sent him a spreadsheet that I should have sent him, should have sent him months ago. I'm like, I'm really rubbish at that kind of thing. I'm also not very good at giving up control because it's my pet project. Also because I'm not very good, I'm great at building traffic. Like, I can build traffic, I can write shareable content, that's what I do. Yeah. I cannot really monetize it very well. Like, I know bloggers who have a third of the traffic I'm getting who are making three times as much money as I'm making because... I'm just not very good at the business side of things. And I get caught up in like, oh, this is a really lovely company, so I'll do it for them for free. Oh, like, oh I'm an idiot. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think like recognizing your own, recognizing your own weaknesses and being able to delegate that stuff. Again, like I say, it's a lesson I'm kind of only just learning. I don't currently have the money to delegate that much stuff. But it's, because I, I always just will just go, oh, I'll just do it. It's quicker for me to just do it. It's like, well, it is quicker this time for me to just do it, but God, it's way quicker in the long run to just pay someone who knows how to do it properly. I only got an accountant like about six months ago, maybe eight months or a year ago, and as soon as I did, I was like, oh yeah, why, why am I not wasting my time doing this? I'm rubbish at this. It takes me like a week to just put a spreadsheet together and he'll yeah. do something in 10 minutes and I'm like, oh, great. So yeah, I think recognising the things you're not good at yeah. and pushing them off, because it gives you so much time, so much more time to focus on the things that you are good at. And my life is so much happier when I end the day having written things and done creative stuff. And I've got a couple of really fun projects that I'm planning, like creative, nice things. And I've just been putting them off because I've been doing loads of rubbish, like admin stuff. And so I'm delegating. Yeah. <laughs> That's my new yeah. thing. Delegating is a very, very good thing to learn. Yeah. I still struggle. I think a lot of people do. When, you, when you've done something on your own for so long as well. Yeah. Sometimes almost kind of giving it away. <laughs> yeah. To let someone else take control of a different part can be quite a challenging thing. But if you can learn it quickly, then God, it's powerful. Definitely. I think it helped, actually. I kind of reframed it a while ago. Like... So effectively, delegating or like passing stuff on to other people, if I reframe it as like supporting other people and supporting other artists and other freelancers, then it's way more, it's way easier for me to do it. So I always used to say, I hate images and I hate like the fact that sex bloggers always have to have images. If you don't have pictures or photos of yourself with your knockers out or like completely naked, people will email you and say, where are all the photos of your knockers? Every other sex blogger does this. So I used to get really annoyed about it. And then I found this incredible illustrator who is Chainbear on Twitter. And he does the most beautiful drawings for my blog posts. And as soon as I could frame that as like, well, it's supporting another artist and, you know, getting some really incredible, he does some absolutely amazing art, like get some of that on my blog, then it's less, it feels less like I'm delegating a task to someone and more like, you know, I'm bringing someone on board to help and make yeah. my blog work better. Yeah. So one of the things that we did before podcast today, because I got very excited, uh, was I asked people if they had any questions for you. And obviously we were looking for a little bit of a tech angle because we're Geek Girl Meets Up UK and we're all about technology. And uh, in all honesty, one of my best mates came forward with two questions. Okay. And I think you'll enjoy them. So in your experience, 
How has the rise in digital technology changed our sexual behaviour? Okay, so there are so many answers to this question, but basically the headline is technology is helping us, has helped us learn tons about ourselves sexually and it's going to help us learn so much more. Um, I think there are some things which just on a really simple level are making sex and certain types of sex so much more accessible to people. So for instance, um, there are sex toys now, um, the Pulse by Hot Octopus is always my first kind of go-to example of this. It's essentially, it's a sex toy for um, people with penises and it vibrates, it oscillates in like an unusual and quite a cool way um, okay. on the frenulum under the head. What it means is that people who, you, you can use it if you're hard, but you can also use it if you suffer from erectile dysfunction, if you have spinal injuries that mean it's hard for you to wow. get or maintain an erection. There are people in the world who haven't orgasmed for years who now can because of this just cool application of peace technology. I'm literally smiling on their behalf. <laughs> it's, really, it's really, really awesome. Yeah. And there are loads and loads of toys like that. So there are kind of, um, Liberator makes um, positioning wedges. They're basically like quite firm cushions, but they help people get in sexual positions they might not have otherwise been able to get into because of, you know, mobility issues or whatever. So on one level, kind of, Tech is about enabling people to do more interesting things and all of the things that they want to do, which they might not have been able to do. But I think it's also toys that sort of look into, toys that kind of help enable different types of relationship are really fascinating as well. So one of the things I'm really interested in at the moment is um, porn, essentially porn tech, the kind of democratization of porn. Yeah. So you now have a huge number of websites that are essentially um, connecting cam workers, so usually women but also often men as well, um, connecting cam workers directly to clients, which cuts out the people who were previously running the porn industry and making porn films and um, it gives people, it puts a lot more of the power into the hands of the people. Okay, so they basically, it's, a, it's a, a platform business, that's the same type of business that Apple is by definition, or Uber is, right? You're providing the technology, te you're enabling them via a technological platform that connects the supplier with the end user. Yes. Basically. Yes. Okay. And the thing is, there are there are issues with it. Like, no industry, I don't think any industry is totally free from exploitation. No. And camming in particular, like, there are a lot of unscrupulous sites which take huge cuts. Yeah. But... I think the more, essentially the more we use technology for sex and the more the price of technology comes down, things like virtual reality porn, at the moment it's mostly big studios who are making VR porn because yeah. it's so expensive. But as the cost of that comes down, more independent people will be making it. And I think what you find when individuals are making porn is you get so much more variety, so much more, like, you know, you get lots of different body types, you get people who are catering to really fascinating like quirks and fetishes. When I talk to people who've worked on like phone sex lines or worked as like cam workers, they tend to have way more interesting stories than people who've worked for like the mainstream porn company. Because the mainstream porn companies is like tick these sex acts that you're willing to do. Yeah. Whereas I spoke to a cam girl once who said that um, one of her clients wanted her to pretend to be a giantess and chew on the webcam. So she put the webcam in her mouth and made like, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that is the I would never have known that that fetish existed, but now that giant fetish, giant fetish, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I now I had a guest blogger talking about giant and giantess fetishes a while ago, and it was such a fascinating piece. But a lot of this stuff, tech is kind of helping us talk about it, learn about it, and the more we learn about human sexuality, the more we learn that. There's so much still left to learn, and yeah. we're so unique, and we're all kind of quirky and weird and different, and and that's a brilliant thing. Basically, I'm so, I'm really excited about tech as a kind of as a tool, basically, to enable us to talk in a much more varied and much more interesting way about sex. Like in the past, it's kind of been these sex acts good, these sex acts bad. Any of them, if you do them too much, then you're a horribly immoral slut, and that's this is appalling and bad. Whereas now it's like, actually, loads of people do that. You're yeah. not like weird or, you know, you're not special if you do loads of sex or have an interesting fetish. There's loads of other people like you out there and it's nice that we're all a bit 
kinky and <laughs> different. Awesome. That's such a good answer. I have to, yeah, we're going to talk about this much more later. Okay. Um, <laughs> I could honestly bang on about this for ages. <laughs> and the, the second question that Luke put forward is, um, do you think our digital world with its opportunities for being anonymous and connection has made us more honest about sex or less realistic? Okay. So, I think, boringly, the answer is a bit of both. Yeah. Um, I think there's a real... I, I actually... I've, since I've been an anonymous blogger, I have become less and less keen on the word anonymous. And the reason I don't like it is because there are lots of anonymous, what I would consider truly anonymous people online. They're usually the kind of eggs that shout at people on Twitter in that that egg is a throwaway. It doesn't matter if that egg gets banned. They're basically anonymous because they're not accountable for anything else that they say. Yeah. Then you have people who are anonymous like me in that I have a pseudonym and so no one knows my real name. Like you couldn't just turn up at my house in your pants, which is kind of why I have the pseudonym basically to stop yeah. people doing that. Um, but I'm still accountable. Like I am more knowable and I think more people know more about me if they know me as girl on the net than if they know me as my real name. Yeah. Actually, most people who know me under my real name don't really know what I do and they think I'm sort of a layabout slash occasionally do a bit of freelancing. Yeah. So, so yeah, anonymity itself I think is really interesting and I would like to see us have a bit more of an informed debate about anonymity, particularly because you've got those people calling for like, you know, people should have to register with real names on social networks, which is just a crap solution, it's such a crap solution to, uh, you know, a genuine problem of people who are abusive, but generally the people who have real pseudonyms are people who are vulnerable, have reason to be pseudonymous, they yeah. have a, a job, they're whistleblowers, all of that stuff. So, there's that. Has it has being anonymous made us more honest? Um, I think there are... I, it's really hard because what I sort of want to say is yes, because I want to be able to say I am really honest about sex, but I don't think I am. And I think if I were to say, oh yeah, I'm totally honest about sex, I think that would be misleading. So I always strive to be as honest as I possibly can be and to tell stories that I think are useful. So sometimes that would be a story about an amazing threesome I had with two people and they were both fantastic and we were all fantastic. And sometimes that would be a story about how I was really incompetent and I gave a guy a head in a funny way and left my bag in a pile of dog poo, which is my like most genuinely, genuinely most humiliating sexual moment <laughs> when I picked the bag up and then had to walk to the train station and I hugged him goodbye and after I'd hugged him goodbye I was like, why do I smell? What is that smell? Oh my God, I'm oh. so embarrassed. Uh, so, I like to, like, so basically I would say I will tell all of the useful stories, but I don't think any of us are really honest. I think the fact that now we live most of our lives digitally means we're probably, we're much better at storytelling and we're much better at picking the stories that we think are relevant or useful. Yeah. So that's a great thing. But I think if anybody says that they don't curate their life, then that's obviously a lie. Like, I will yeah. curate my, I very carefully curate my blog so that if I'm having a, like a really bad time, like mental health wise, I have some happy blogs in the bank that I can put out so I can make sure I keep that, you know, kind of keep that brand and to a certain extent keep the bubble around me that protects me from yeah. having too many people knowing when I'm, you know, struggling or when things difficult. And I think probably we, I think probably we will do that. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, th there are moments on the internet where people are just brutally honest and, and truthful, but most of the time people are putting forward a face, whether yeah. it's a good one, whether it's a bad one, whether it's a troll, whether it's a whatever, you're kind of only really showing yeah. one aspect. And I, I think, the, I think, sorry, I was no, just going to say, I think that's a really good thing. Like there is, as long as there's no hypocrisy in it, like I would never say one thing as girl on the net and then a completely different thing that I actually believe in real life. But as long as there's no hypocrisy in it, it's I think it's good. Yeah. I I would never want everybody to be a hundred percent honest because I think it's really important that people are allowed spaces to discuss things. So 
I have some, I have friends who, um, I, have friend, I have a particular friend who has been out for a very, very long time um, with all of his friends and with all of his mates, but he's not, not out with his parents. And he's, we've talked a lot before about you need to be able to have those spaces and curate certain spaces based on what you're, you know, comfortable talking about and what you aren't. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like you wouldn't walk into the office and tell everyone you got laid last night and here's exactly how it happened, because that would be a kind of a weird kind of honesty, depending on your office, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, um, like, in terms of what Lou's asking here, aside from that, because that's all on there, but if there's the, the other layer of the anonymous and the opportunities and whether you're being realistic, less realistic, when you're kind of looking at something like Tinder. Oh, okay. as well. I think, mm. so, you know, I agree that there's your, your general, like, everyone can see me kind of social approach. But then if you're, you know, like, if I talk from experience, so I, I've used Tinder multiple times and it's a love-hate relationship. It's, like, cyclical. You're basically like, oh, I've not dated anyone in ages. Oh, I'm going to go on Tinder. Oh, it's really exciting. Look how many matches I'm getting. I went on two dates. They were crap. I'm so over Tinder. Uh, okay, yeah. And it's kind of like you go back and back. But even just going through the motions of swipe, left, right, left, right, whatever, you do come across people that... Now, this is where it's interesting. That either they're, they're kind of showing you but it's mm. specifically a kink. Okay. Right? So you'll occasionally, you'll, there'll be a guy that has photos up and he's literally just showing you other women in full bondage. Oh, God. Yeah, but not <laughs> not showing his face or he's just showing you a bit of his body but he's wearing a mask. Oh, yeah, like okay. Yeah, like a kid looking mask or something. Um, I see the latter. The latter I don't write so much. I, I hate it when people put photos of other people on their dating profiles okay. because my first thing is, do you have that person's consent? And yeah. can you guarantee me that you're going to have that person's consent forever and ever and ever, even if I copy this picture and make fun of it on Twitter? No. Oh, I, I have a real thing about people using other people's photos on, like, you know, fet sites and dating sites. Yeah. But yeah, I see what you mean. There's that, there's, I don't know, do you know, I, I am actually really rubbish. I was never, so I met my partner on OkCupid which personally is my favourite dating site ever, partly because it's full of perverts and partly because I feel like people, or at least when I was on it, people used to appreciate a good, like, jokey, fun profile rather yeah. than take it too seriously. But I think there's something on online dating. I would naturally expect everybody to effectively, you know, like, do their hair and put on lipstick. Like, you slightly... You spin the things you do, yeah. you talk about the more interesting bits, you kind of probably hide the boring bits, you talk up hobbies you don't really do that much and say, well, I definitely do this at least twice a month to make yourself seem more interesting. Um, and there's that level of, like, not, you know, not lying, but like, kind of touching stuff up. Then you get the people who are like, well, basically, they've got out with the goal to get laid, and they will do anything possible to get laid, and that really drives me up the wall because I feel like at that point, I mean, age is kind of what kind of boring, tedious, rubbish, like almost inhuman transaction are you trying to facilitate? Like, what what exactly are you what exactly are you getting out of this here other than just like very base level physical pleasure, which you could you know you could get from a sex toy. Um, and also, it's, I, I really, I just hate sex being used in deception because in the same way as I hate the idea of people manipulating other people for friendship or like within a friendship, it's like, that's actually quite a, oh, I sound like a real hippie, like romantic type, but basically like using sex or manipulating people to get sex or, or sort of engaging in that kind of manipulation just feels a bit... It's not, it's, not, it's not nice. It's taking a thing that I love and tainting it. Um, so I probably wouldn't do very well on Tinder. I'd be one of the people who just replies to everyone like, nope, nope. <laughs> so side note, because I remember reading one of the things that you had an issue with guys sending you dick pics to just check that everything was all right. Like, oh, God, I yeah. Um, I had an issue with connecting with guys and you, you talk on... Tinder and then that's all fine and then the natural thing is you get you exchange numbers because it's much easier to talk not on that platform because it can be a bit sticky yeah and 
I just got inundated with dick pics. And oh. they, but they weren't, there was no, would you like to see anything, option to say yes or no, or even if you did say no, it was just bang in your face and you're like, right, well, there's yeah. your penis. Mystery's all gone. Um, yeah. Uh, I find the, the whole dick pics thing, I could honestly, I could bang on for ages about it, but what I will tell you is, I got, I set up an email address when I first started blogging. I was like, oh, everybody keeps getting unsolicited dick pics. I don't mind receiving them. I actually used to really enjoy looking at dick pics, basically, back in, long ago, back in the day before I got bored of them. And so I set up an email address that was send me a dick pic, I think, at Gmail or whatever, and let people send them. And I was inundated. I have collated all of, I basically took metadata from every email. So I looked at things like how many words were in the email, how many words per picture, um, does it come from a real email address that's attached to a G Plus account with a photo, or does it look like a throwaway? Yeah. Um, what's in the picture? Is it just dick? Is it dick and hands? Dick hands body? Dick hands face? Those were the rare ones. How many people sent videos? So basically, I have it. I have collated it. It's called the dick face. And I really, Brilliant. I know, I'm, but I've found loads of really interesting things from looking through it and pulling out data points. So I need to find someone who can help me like put it into graphs and make it look pretty. But basically, I wanted to know why is it that people send them? Yeah. What is it they're looking for? And when I started analysing it, you start realising certain things. So like, size does not make any difference in terms of whether or not someone is proud of their picture. Basically, like some people will be like, "Oh, I'm. I want to check if I'm okay or if I'm big enough or if I'm normal." Other people will be like, "Get a load of this! It's amazing." Um, people who had written more in their emails were more likely to have got a response from me over time, and I found that quite interesting. It was like, okay, it's they're clearly they clearly care about what they're sending, and they've written, taken the time to write an email. I would reply to them and say thank you, where someone who sent me 12 pictures with rate me, lol, I, chances are I'm probably going to reply to them. Um, so I, don't know, I find it a really interesting, from a kind of like, why the hell do people send them yeah. perspective. I think the, the behaviours behind it are interesting. So I, with the guys that sent me videos, videos and images. Nice. Well, yeah, the, the worst one I had was I woke up to a message from a guy that I'd spoken to two weeks before, hadn't heard from him at all, and he just sent me a video. Oh my god! Yeah, and I did nothing else, and I I was furious, and and then subsequently that day I got two more. It was like they were attracted to me on that particular day, and you're like, did, was there a memo that yeah. went out? Um. Anyway, in the end, I ended up writing a quick blog. Basically, just saying I don't want your unsolicited dick pic, mm. um, and you know, talking about the whole idea of consent because with that, you know, I guess with the internet and being anonymous or even just connecting with someone on something like Tinder, even though you have seen a face, you might know their real name, you might not. You can know their location. You still feel very separated from them, and then being separated from them physically, you almost kind of feel like you can get away with it or you feel slightly protected in doing it but there's so many implications to doing it that actually it's not safe oh yeah and also yeah. legal implications yeah. like yeah. It, it it in a lot of places it is just flat out illegal to send someone an unsolicited dick pic and rightly so i'm not entirely sure how it works in uk law but I, i've interviewed guys before about it and said why do you do this and a lot of the time they'll say oh well the thing is we're getting on and i thought she liked me so I thought it would be okay. And it's like, what level of entitlement do you have to have to genuinely believe that because a woman sort of kind of likes you, brackets, just hasn't outright told you to get lost yet, like, of course, but I thought she liked me, of course she will want to see the majesty of my penis. <laughs> what? Like, it's just so, I mean, it's really bizarre, but then, Guys I know and love have done similar things, and I'm like, ha, ha, I just I don't I don't get it. It's again, it's one of the reasons I find it fascinating. And like I say, I used to like looking at them, which is why I now you know I had that email address. I've now stopped. Yeah. Uh, and I've put up a lot of messages saying, please do not send me your dick pics anymore. I still get some occasionally, but but yeah, what? 
Ah, oh, yeah. what is it? There should be, and I'm sure there will be in the future, like lessons for kids when they're doing their sex education. There will be lessons about like how to communicate online, like how to respect people online. Yeah. And it, yeah. Yeah, Don't I feel like there should be lessons for people in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and people want me to do all of that as well. But Or just but someone with a megaphone who just turn up at the house, they open the door and they shout, <laughs> Don't send a dick pic! That's it, that's all they do. Invite her for a drink instead. <laughs> Old fashioned way, yeah. recording, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I could go on about this forever and ever. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Okay. Not off the whole dick tangent. Um, anyway, so I'm going to kind of wrap it up now because I literally could just keep talking and talking and talking because I find this whole, the connection between human behaviour, sexuality and what tech does mm. and everything, it's, it's fascinating and it's something that we'll, we'll deep dive on soon, hopefully in the future. Um, but let's quickly change topic. You know, who's been an inspiration to you, do you think, in terms of your career and what you've done? Oh, loads of people. So I'm actually, basically, I'm a big fan of people who are sort of businesswomen and also campaigning for something. So Cindy Gallup is obviously She's a brilliant one to mention. She's yeah. incredible. Like, there are a lot of things that I know that she kind of does and stands for that I don't agree with. So she's very, very capitalist. But I love, I just love the kind of passion and energy that she puts into things. I think her Make Love Not Porn project is doing some incredible things, you know, in terms of changing the way we talk about sex as well as, you know, just the platform. Um, Pandora Blake is fantastic. She is um, the porn producer who um, basically she was making this incredible site called Vinted Spanking and it got shut down by Ofcom because of the new UK porn regulations and she fought them and she won and so her site is now back up online and she's incredibly um, good talking about free speech and sexuality and you know kind of how um, technology enables that yeah. there is going to be loads of really really interesting debate on this over the next year or so because the government's just brought out its age verification thing yeah. And there are some just brilliant campaigners who are talking a lot about tech, you know, technology and porn and what we should and should definitely not be doing, i.e. banning porn. Um, Jane Fay is really good on this as well. She, she's, um, she writes uh, tech and, well, loads of other stuff, but a lot of tech stuff for Pink News. And she's very precise about, you know, when we're talking about, like, porn and tech and how those two things are combined. Like, she's very good at pointing out exactly where the problems are. And I just love her writing, she's great. Oh, who else? Loads of people. But I think a lot of the people who kind of inspire me, it's generally women who sort of will go out and say, right, well, here's what I believe in, here's what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think I notice it. Roxanne Gay is amazing as well. I have to mention her because I've just got her new, uh, her new book. It's a really old book. It's been out for ages. It's called Bad Feminist. And I've just got it delivered today, so I can't wait to start reading it. But she's incredible. Um, but yeah, it's basically, it, it's women who often, I, find, I think I recognise and I can see it in a lot of women, you can see their career trajectory and go, I can literally see the hurdles you've had to jump over yeah. that have made this much more difficult for you and you're amazing. Um, but yeah, I, there are, oh, I could go on for ages, there are loads of women who like massively inspire me and I'm going to kick myself as soon as I leave for not having mentioned some of them. Oh, that's a cool. So... If you suddenly think of anyone else post podcast, just email me. Okay. And I do this and everything. I'm like, there will be this magic box beneath the podcast on SoundCloud, and within the box there will be a list of names of people that are inspiring me. Yes. Okay. Brilliant. So we'll make a deal that if there's anyone else that you can think of, then do send it across, and we'll add that. What about what are you kind of absorbing on a day to day? Like, how much reading do you do? Um, you know, what are you listening to? What's kind of the, the go-to for you? I don't read enough. I wish I could read more. I have like a massive stack of books. At the moment, I'm reading a book about gender called Male Daughters, Female Husbands. And it's about, it's, it's fascinating. It's basically an exploration of gender and it's kind of uh, pushing away a lot of the tropes that uh, white Western colonials sort of laid on top of cultures that they found um, when they were, you know, rampaging through Africa and smashing everything up and not listening to anybody. Yeah. Um, and so it's someone who's basically said, look, here's why all of the writing that 
was written at that time was wrong, and here are some way more interesting things about gender and sexuality and how we should understand it. Um, what else? Oh God, what else do I read and listen to? I basically almost, if I see anything to do with sex tech, I am on it. Like, I am obsessed. I have searches running for, like, sex tech and new sex toys and interesting new ways to masturbate, basically. Yeah. Um, I am also currently obsessed with the sex robots debate, um, which uh, I did a debate on the Guardian tech podcast, which I didn't realise was going to be a debate, um, but with Steph from Mystery Vibe, who is also, who I know you've had on before, yeah. um, and this woman called Dr. Kathleen Richardson, who is on this huge campaign against sex robots and says they're really bad. So anytime sex robots come up, I'm all over it because I think sex robots are fascinating and again, will teach us loads of interesting things about humanity, yeah. will help some people have sex who couldn't or wouldn't want to have sex with a human partner. I think they're amazing and there's this massive campaign to try and ban them. So I like to think that I am kind of the thorn in their side. What else do I, what else do I read this to? I read loads of other sex blogs. Um, Molly's Daily Kiss, Kara Sutra, uh, Dangerous Lily. I'm gonna. I see. I'll start naming some. And then you did do like another list. We'll have two running lists. Yeah. Inspiring people and all of the other people I didn't mention that. I didn't <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll we'll do that. We'll make that happen. Um. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on. That's no, really it's been it's been a real pleasure. And uh, I'm now gonna take you for a glass of wine and get more out of you. Um. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's what happens now. Uh, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, only a quick couple of updates from, from Geek Girl Meetup UK, but uh, if you're not aware already, we have set a date for the Geek Girl Meetup conference, which is the 8th of October, and uh, we're being hosted by our new friends at the Ministry of Justice in their great space. And more excitingly, we can actually tell you guys what the theme of the conference is now. And the theme of this year's conference is The Way We're Wired. So we will be looking at how technology is changing our own human behaviours, everything from your mental health to the way you get fit to the way you have sex, and flipping that in reverse, looking at how as human beings we are shaping the technology of the future, from artificial intelligence to robotics, uh, it's, it's all happening. So if you're interested in basically hearing 30 amazing women talking about tech all day long and then having wine, you should probably try and get a ticket and they will be on sale soon. Until then, follow us on Twitter at GGM UK, catch us on Facebook, we're Geek Girl Meetup UK, and if you haven't already, sign up to the newsletter on our website, Geek Girl Meetup UK. And that's that. Thank you very much for joining me again. Thanks for having me. Nettie. <laughs>